This podcast is brought to you by GoMoto, the service lane kiosk that grows your business. Want to increase revenue, improve the customer experience, and maximize service efficiency? Visit GoMoto.com to learn more. G-O-M-O-T-O.com. Hi, everyone. This is Steve Smith. Welcome to Daily Drive for Wednesday, November 3rd. This week on Daily Drive, in the spirit of U.N. climate change discussions underway in Scotland, where electric vehicles are sure to be on the agenda, we're presenting conversations with CEOs that are finding more environmentally friendly and sustainable ways to build lithium-ion batteries and charge EVs. Today I'm speaking with Dan Blondahl, CEO of Nano One Materials. The company has invented and patented a low-carbon, low-cost manufacturing process for production of high-performance lithium-ion battery cathode materials. Blondell says of the three parts that typically make up a lithium-ion battery, the anode, the cathode, and the electrolyte, most advancements have been made in the cathode, and the process he and his team have invented to produce cathodes help address fundamental performance needs and supply chain constraints while also reducing cost and carbon footprint. Another benefit? flexibility. Blondell says there are a lot of, quote, flavors of lithium-ion batteries, and Nano One's technology can make virtually all of them, and that allows the company to partner with anyone up and down the EV value chain, miners, chemical producers, and yes, automakers and suppliers. The publicly traded company is valued at about $378 million and has experienced some nice growth in 2020 and 2021. Nano One has also received funding from various government programs and is working with Volkswagen and other undisclosed OEMs to harness the benefits using its patented manufacturing process. What is the history of innovation surrounding lithium-ion batteries, and what other cost, performance, and environmental benefits does Nano One's process deliver? We've caught up with Nano One Materials CEO Dan Blondahl at the company's facility outside of Vancouver. Dan, thanks so much for joining me on Daily Drive today. How are you? I'm great, Steve. It's great to be here. Thank you. Well, thank you. Very exciting topic and continues lots of conversations I'm having these days with folks about battery technology, particularly important as this industry pushes to electric vehicles. Let's start with today's conversation. Can you tell us about Nano One Materials? What's the mission the company is on? Nano One is is changing the way uh, lithium-ion battery materials are being made. Now, that's our mission. And um, uh, obviously, there's a lot more to unpack than just that, but uh, we are a industrial technology company and we're developing a, uh, a process to make cathode materials that go into lithium batteries. That's what allows the battery uh, to charge and discharge. Uh, we have a process for making those cathode materials um, that reduces the environmental footprint, uh, the cost, and the uh, and improves the performance uh, of those underlying materials. It's a platform, so we can make a variety of different types of cathode materials. Uh, there are many different flavors of lithium-ion batteries, and our technology can make virtually all of them. So the the, the concept is really to uh, to to develop this technology, partner with uh, players in the field, uh, either up or down the supply chain, either with the OEMs, the chemical producers in between, or even the miners, uh, to bring about a change in the supply chain that drives down costs and improves importance and, and improves the environmental footprint. 
I want to dive into the process. I want to talk about supply chain implications throughout this conversation. But I think it's it's interesting. Your website has an amazing infographic dealing detailing the history and advancements in lithium ion batteries. And and for our listeners, I want to give folks a bit of contents context. There there are generally three parts of a lithium ion battery: the anode, the cathode, and the electrolyte. Anodes, electrolyte technology, largely the same for the past 30 years, but there have been advancements in cathode technology. So as the expert, can you describe some of those advancements over the th- last 30 years in, in cathode technology? Yeah, uh, well, maybe even even to go back a little bit further to the history of the lithium-ion battery. So you, you, you mentioned those three components. Of the, the lithium-ion battery was invented back in the 70s by uh, Stanley Whittingham when he was at Exxon. And uh, he figured out that the lithium could be transported and stored in the different electrodes. And then uh, it was John Goodenough out of um, uh, out of the U.S. Um, who discovered that uh, you could you could make a, uh, a cathode material that uh, held the lithium ions um, uh, when it was discharged and and would give them up as you charge the battery. But they were all doing this with a lithium anode at the time, and lithium anodes are um, uh, are are notoriously unstable. And in fact, the first uh, first lithium commercial lithium ion battery uh, came out of Canada, out of a, a, a group here um, in right in my backyard uh, called uh, E1 Molly uh, or Molly Energy at the time, and and they made a uh, lithium metal battery with a molybdenum uh, a, a cathode that actually was made of molybdenum. But the, that lithium anode was very unstable, and it wasn't until um, uh, Sony. Uh, discovered that graphite could be used on the anode, that you finally got to a commercially safe battery. So that was in 1991, and the, the, the key invention there was by a guy named Akira Yoshino. So those three groups, those three uh, men, uh, Winningham, uh, Goodenough, and Yoshino, uh, are, and they got the Nobel Prize for it a couple of years ago, uh, they are the key uh, inventors behind the lithium-ion battery. The, as you say, the anode hasn't changed a whole lot since then. Uh, we still use graphite anodes in virtually every lithium-ion battery out there. Uh, there's a big push on right now to add um, uh, more energy-efficient uh, materials to that. There's, there's silicon going in to, to make the energy density go up. Um, there's a reinvigoration now of lithium anodes because they're very energy dense, but there's lots of safety issues to be done. But meanwhile, the cathode has gone through a whole bunch of um, really sort of key innovations over the years. So that first Sony battery had a lithium cobalt oxide battery in it. So it was cobalt is the main ingredient that holds the lithium ions. And then slowly over the years, we've worked manganese and nickel, um, iron and phosphorus into these uh, into a variety of different flavors of lithium-ion batteries. And so uh, it, it's really that mixture of, let's say, nickel, manganese, and cobalt, or iron and phosphorus, um, uh, and, and in the various different ratios, they have they create different uh, properties. So some of these batteries are better at charging, some of them are safer, some of them are cheaper, uh, some of them last longer. None of them do all of the above, and so as a result, there are um, uh, there are different, uh, let's say, verticals or different different strategies in lithium-ion batteries, different chemistries to serve different parts of the market needs. So you, what goes in your phone or what goes in a power tool or what goes in a, in a car or what goes in a, in, a, in a sort of, let's say, renewable energy storage battery on the grid, uh, they all have different chemistries that serve sort of different niches and different properties. So um, that uh, – and, and so you've seen this diversification in the lithium-ion battery. They all have lithium. They all work like Stanley Whittingham kind of invented way back in the 70s, um, but um, uh, they do so um, um, they do so with with different properties uh, that, as I said, uh, serve different needs uh, across the market. 
Now describe for us your process and what you've patented for manufacturing cathode materials for these batteries. So we have, a, a, as a technology company, of course, patents are kind of our lifeblood, and we have developed the patents and the know-how and the people and the engineering plans um, to assemble the uh, those key elements. So assembling lithium, nickel, manganese, cobalt atoms into a, a structure, um, uh, uh, basically, a, it's, a, it's like a it's a crystalline structure. It's a it's a powder essentially. At the end of the day, when you uh, a finished cathode material looks like coffee grounds. It's a it's a black powder. And each grain of powder is a, is a composite of those metals like nickel, manganese, or cobalt, or iron and phosphorus, um, and, and in various combinations. And lithium can be, uh, lithium atoms or, or ions can be pulled in and out of that structure as you charge and discharge the battery. So we've developed a way to assemble these that, uh, that drives down uh, the cost, improves the performance, and actually gets rid of a bunch of the waste in the uh, in the supply chain from from the time you mine these materials and smelt them and refine them and convert them into battery materials. There's a whole bunch of waste in that process, and we've developed a way to, to minimize that waste and actually eliminate a number of the steps, which helps drive down cost. Well, I'm going to talk about cost uh, a little bit later, particularly as fuel prices grow and, and increase and, and maybe how that drives towards a faster adoption of electric vehicles. I want to close today's conversation with your point of view on that. Relative to the technology and what you just described and and, and Nano One's approach to manufacturing, in the context of an EV, are there any, can you describe any performance cost benefits resulting from the advancements that you all are driving? Yeah, well, I, I, first of all, I guess, as, as I said um, at, at the beginning, we have a, this platform technology, so we can make all these different materials, lithium cobalt oxide, lithium manganese oxide, uh, lithium nickel manganese cobalt oxide. There's all these different mixtures, and our, our technology allows us to make any one of them. So that, uh, first of all, is a... Uh, uh, is an advantage to any manufacturer because it's quite flexible. Um, it, it also enables us to work with a, a, a range of different um, uh, collaborators and partners in the space. So we have a, for instance, we have a, a joint development program with Johnson Matthey, um, a, a large um, a specialty chemicals company, uh, to produce uh, a next generation cathode material using their kind of formulation to make a sort of very high performance, uh, fast charging, um, uh, energy dense material for long range luxury electric vehicles. Uh, but at the same time, um, our technology allows us to work on, let's say, lithium iron phosphate, which is more for sort of heavy duty, um, uh, low cost applications in the uh, in the electric vehicle market, uh, both on the industrial side and actually at the entry level and mass market side. So, it, it, so the flexibility is is a really key part here. But I think from uh, the, probably the biggest advantage we are bringing to the table right now is the ability to disrupt the supply chain. So right now, nickel, manganese, and cobalt, as I said, are, are, are from the mine to the point to the time to get in the battery. They go through a whole bunch of different transformations. Uh, to get to a battery grade material and um, in doing so there's a whole bunch of waste and there's a whole bunch of unnecessary weight being shipped around the world and our process uh, eliminates that but by being able to go directly from let's say nickel metal 
uh, to a cathode, we eliminate all the steps that would normally happen in between that and all the waste um, that is created and, and the environmental footprint that's associated with that. And that comes, uh, that reduces the, reduces the carbon footprint in a, in a very significant way and also reduces the cost of the materials um, by many thousands of dollars per ton. Now, to give that context, that's kind of in the 10 to 25 percent range in sort of a cost reduction of the cathode. The cathode is one of the, the more significant cost of points in, in, a, in a battery. Uh, it's probably pushing 40 to 50% of the cost in a lithium-ion uh, battery cell in the individual cell is, is actually the cost of the cathode. So uh, we're starting to talk about fairly significant savings and advantages by uh, being able to push, uh, move the needle in that direction. Such an interesting point of view relative to supply chain. Lots of conversations I've been having have been around access, making sure that the flow of these materials is not disruptive. I'm getting it out of Africa. I'm getting it out of Asia. I'm getting it out of the Middle East. That has been the predominance of the themes that I've, the conversations that I've had relative to supply chain improvement and in building these batteries at scale in the U.S. and Canada and North America. Such an such an interesting point of view that says, you know, we our supply chain improvements come from a more optimized process, not at least the way that I that I interpret or or I understand that you just described it. it it's not from hey, we're solving for finding better ways to find scarce materials. Is that is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. So, so we're a bit agnostic to where the material comes from. Um, so that, uh, that, um, uh, that makes us quite flexible. Uh, we're in the midstream, so we, we, we take all these materials from different sources and we convert them into, into something that goes into a battery. But the, um, I think the key is that um, uh, there's a fairly well-established supply chain in Asia uh, and, and predominantly now in China. And they do the, the, that supply chain is based on a on a relatively old system. I mean, uh, the nickel supply chain, for instance, is built off of off of the stainless steel supply chain, and so nickel is produced in a way that that is largely uh, a function of that. We've found a way to to uh, to, to sidestep that, and we think um, in in North America. If we're going to compete against this really well-established supply chain in Asia, that we have to create a, uh, a localized and highly differentiated supply chain here, differentiated in, from a cost point of view, differentiated uh, from an environmental point of view, and, and that's what's going to make it sticky. That's what's going to make it um, uh, sustainable in, in North America. If we copy the way it's done, let's say in Asia, the supply chain, we're at risk of, of constantly being in a um, economic competition. And the auto suppliers will constantly be looking, you know, to Asia or North America or somewhere else to, to, uh, to, to source those uh, battery materials once they've gone through all this refinement. And that means even if we mine it here, um, we're going to end up shipping it to to uh, to Asia to be transformed into a battery material before buying it back in the form of a battery. And if, to, to make a robust um, and resilient supply chain here in North America, we have to differentiate in the midstream to keep the materials here, to keep the jobs here, and to keep all of that uh, refining and and cathode materials base. So so our view is 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 let's let's eliminate a bunch of the steps that uh, that are necessary in Asia, but not necessary here, and that will differentiate and make the business much stickier here. We'll be right back with more. Your service check-in process sets the tone for your customer's entire visit. 
Do your customers wait longer than five minutes to check in for service? Are your advisors presenting upsells to every customer every time? How often is the opportunity for trade appraisals missed? When your service drive gets busy, these inefficiencies directly impact revenue. Give your customers the option to handle the entire check-in process themselves. From appointment scheduling through final confirmation, all in under two minutes. Customers have the experience they want while selling themselves, which means your advisors are freed up to focus on profit-producing activities. It's a win-win for both CSI and your revenue. Introducing a smarter service link. GoMoto is the self-service kiosk designed to grow your business. If you're ready to start increasing revenue, improving the customer experience, and maximizing service efficiency today, visit GoMoto.com. That's G-O-M-O-T-O dot com. Talk to us a little bit about the strength of the business. Market cap around $378 million, some very nice growth in 2020, 2021, getting funding from a few Canadian government organizations. What's the, the strength of the business and how is that growth fueling the company's push into automotive? Well, I think obviously there's a, there's a tremendous amount of interest in the in the uh, in the battery space itself, and, and that's that's uh, that's attributed to, you know largely uh, or in a big function to our growth. But the I think our, our strategy and our our, our 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 leadership and our vision is very unique, and we are um, the fact that we're trying to change the, the supply chain for the for the betterment of 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 the world and of North America. Um, is uh, is very unique uh, to what we do um, uh, to what we're doing at Nano One. It's very um, uh, we're trying to move mountains. Um, we're trying to change the way uh, uh, let's say automotive companies buy their materials and source their materials. But it's it's resonating. Uh, two years ago, there's no way um, uh, we were getting an audience on this uh, in any big way. But now uh, the audience is is very uh, loud and is very clear. The automotive companies want to see change um, in the supply chain. They want to have better source materials. They want to be more environmentally responsible, and uh, and the um, and the and the big integrated miners, the, the ones making it, you know, uh, uh, pulling nickel and refining it um, out of the ground, um, want to. Uh, they they don't. They would rather be selling their material directly into a cathode producer rather than to an intermediate group because they they're giving up value by doing that so what we found is that the demand for our technology is really coming from the bookends of the supply chain um from you know other other the automotive companies or, or the, the large integrated miners they want to see this kind of change because it creates more value for their product and and, and eliminates complexity of course and an environmental footprint and uh, so we're working actively there to create demand while at the same time uh, working in the midstream with companies like Johnson Matthey and other other cathode and chemical companies um, really to fulfill that demand and to build out a um, to build out strategies to make let's say the materials that we're making with Johnson Matthey or the materials we're making with another Asian producer um, um, using our technology and that's to, to fulfill this demand that's coming from uh, really the bookends of the supply chain. 
can you share with us any conversations you might be having with OEMs and and tier ones, and what are the what are the focus of those conversations, and and perhaps maybe uh, I don't know if it's it's appropriate if you can reveal maybe you know what the what the spirit of those conversations are about in terms of collaboration and partnership. Yeah, look, the only OEM I can I can spe- speak to by name is Volkswagen because that's the only one we have disclosed. We are working with two other uh, large OEMs as well, and I can't uh, at this point I can't I'm not at liberty to tell you who they are. What I can say though is overall in the in the automotive industry, we've seen um, uh, we've seen a push you kind know, of upstream by the automotive companies, not just in supply chain management, they've always done that. They've always kind of really, really pushed the supply chain, but they really haven't spent a lot of time investing um, in the uh, uh, upstream because um, they've largely been a, a very established business. They pull things off the shelf and they reassemble them and they put them in the car and they put a, you know, a, a, nice, a nice body around it and their badge on the car. Uh, with batteries, it's an entirely different world. Um, uh, they're having to uh, they're really having to uh, rethink how um, uh, how they make battery packs to make them lighter and stuff more um, be able to stuff more battery between the wheels uh, to, for longer range. And to do that, they have to they're having to reinvent the battery pack. They're having to reinvent the battery cells and uh, and leverage the properties of the chemistry that go into those cells. And this is um, this is a change uh, that is only coming to the to the uh, automotive makers uh, really in the last couple of years. Tesla, to some degree, have been pushing that for some time. There are a few producers in China that have been more vertically integrated, thinking about that whole that whole supply chain I just I, I just mentioned, that whole design chain. And and I think now that the large, all the other large OEMs are coming to the table saying, okay, we have to be we have to be investing in all of that stuff. I mean, you've seen the announcements from Ford and SK. Um, and and there you're seeing collaboration at the battery manufacturing level, and I think we're going to see a push to more and more sort of integration in order to optimize those packs and optimize those batteries so they can deliver better range and better cost for their customers. That's a fundamental change in the thinking in the in the automotive space that I don't think has been there for for you know for almost a hundred years. Um, they have been pushing to be less and less integrated. Um, um, and and you know pulling from their supply chain, and now the, uh, the really the change to electric vehicles is is forcing them to be become more and more integrated in the supply chain in order to bring about the change and invest in that change. So let's close with cost. We've touched upon it a few times in our conversation, and in, in, in particularly cost per kilowatt hours. I did some some searching yesterday on average price of gas for a gallon of gas in in, in Canada and the U.S. I think Canada, after doing the conversions of liters to to, to gallons and in U.S. dollars to Canadian dollars, comes out about on average four dollars and nine cents U.S. dollars in Canada for a gallon. $3.12 here in the U.S. The the thing that's curious to me, and I'd, I'd like your point of view, is it seems, I'm curious if you believe as gas prices continue to go down and as the cost per kilowatt hour continues to go down, are we going to see a, a accelerated shift to EVs as inflation and gas prices and all of these costs go up? 
Well, I think that's certainly a, a major driver. Um, look, I drive an electric car, and, and I think you know anyone who drives one will will be quick to point out that the you know the the obviously you're, 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 uh, there's there's very little cost in, in driving the car. There's no uh, well, there's no gas. The brakes don't wear out. Uh, there's no muffler to fall off the car. I mean, in Canada, that kind of matters a lot. There's a fair amount of salt on the roads in the winter. And 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 I think all these things are are uh, are, are are sort of big drivers. Obviously, the cost of fuel um, will um, will drive people more and more towards electric vehicles. One thing we found, though, I mean, when when fuel prices fell and they got really low, we didn't really see a, a net change in the adoption of electric vehicles. Maybe that's because most of the early adopters are, are kind of pioneers, uh, so that didn't really matter to them. They were just interested in the electric vehicle. They weren't trying to save on gas. But I think at more and more as it reaches into the mainstream and as we get to to uh, the mass market electric vehicles um, and, and the cost of those vehicles is driven down, um, it will start to become an economic uh, imperative for people. So yes, that's it, it, a long answer to your question. I do believe the the uh, the cost of, of gasoline, the cost of driving your car, um, be it the gas or the brakes or the maintenance and all of that, um, that will ad- drive uh, adoption of electric vehicles because people will realize that it's just economically um, um, easier uh, and 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 obviously um, environmentally better to be driving an electric vehicle. So those those drivers will will bring about that tipping point and that change in uh, in the adoption. It will require you know support from the governments. It will require uh, I think still the the incentive programs to to drive it forward. Um, uh, and there will be hiccups. Um, uh, the supply chain constraints will be enormous. Um, uh, you know, where's the nickel and the lithium and everything going to come from? Like you say, like where does it come from in the world? And then, and then, how do we transform it locally without shipping it all over the world uh, to come back in the form of a battery? Those things have to be figured out, and and uh, and the industry is beginning to tackle those. Uh, they they're largely figured out in China and Asia, but uh, but certainly not uh, not elsewhere in the world. So uh, that will all come with time. And of course, the infrastructure plays a really fun, a big role. In Canada, we're finally starting to see um, a big push on, for instance, on, on on charging infrastructure. And when that starts to come into play, and it feels r- relatively easy to drive around and recharge your vehicle, I think that will remove the the anxiety and some of the last the last hurdles that people feel uh, in, in adopting an electric vehicle. Dan, thanks so much for joining me today on Daily Drive. Fascinating conversation. Thanks for sharing your insight. Thanks for sharing what's going on at Nano One Materials. I appreciate you taking a few minutes. Well, thanks very much, Steve. And I appreciate you putting me in front of your audience. And I uh, hope they enjoyed the discussion. That's Daily Drive for Wednesday, November 3rd. For breaking news, go to autonews.com. And to catch up on all episodes of Daily Drive, go to autonews.com forward slash daily drive. As always, thanks for listening. We'll be back tomorrow.